you should, and you've had some questions about, you know, how do I know if God's speaking to me? You should, you should check out that podcast. We're going to get the notes online soon. And, and uh, so, you know, one of the stories we told was about being at, uh, at uh, Hallowed Scream at, at Bush Gardens. And I told a story about the guy with the chainsaw, if you were here, but here last week. And so, so, so in the lobby before church, uh, Steve Walls comes over. And uh, one of our key leaders here, and he said, oh, I missed such a wonderful opportunity this week. I said, what? And he had this, you know, great, you know, I, like the, uh, I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar kind of expression on his face. He said, I was in the woods by the Nolan Trail cutting wood. Yeah, David's already laughing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I w- and I had my chainsaw with me. And, and lo and behold, I hear the voices of women that I recognize. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It was the ladies, City Life Church, life group walking the Nolan Trail. And I said, I just, I just need to know, did you do it? With the expectation of, I pray to God that you did, right? And he, and he hung his head in chain. He said, I did not. So all the ladies that were on the trail that night, you can thank Steve that he was there and not some of other depraved people like myself who would have cranked that thing up and jumped out in front of you, and we would have had another great scaring Laura Nowotny story to tell this weekend at, at the City Life Church. So, hey, I got another story, and, and then we're going to get into some, some of the things I think we're going to do tonight together, and I think we'll do the first part of this. We'll save the second half of it for next week. So another funny thing that happened this week is that I think it was on Facebook that, that, that uh, Pastor Justin, a.k.a. Juice, right, has this hilarious conversation with this, with this uh, uh, young girl who's at some type of sporting event or, or something. And, and Oyster Point, Oyster Point. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and they were talking, and she said, so, so, so you work at a church, right? And uh, he said, yeah, I'm the, I'm the student ministries pastor. And, and, and she just couldn't quite get it into, how old was she? About 13, teenager. She just, she couldn't figure out. You know, he doesn't quite fit the mold, right, of somebody with a collar and all that, with it wearing the cross. And, and, so, and so he's convincing her, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor. You could tell that he does, she does not believe him. And so he's, you know, I'm thinking he's going to have to whip out his little ordination card that he gets, right, to get into hospital visits for hospitals and to park in the really nice clergy parking spaces by the front door, which is wonderful. And, and, and so, so, so at the end of the conversation, I kid you not, this is, this is what she says to him. She says, because you walk more like a pimp than a pastor. <laughs> Isn't that great? No one is ever going to say that to me. <laughs> ever. Not on my best day. Not on my best day. I was talking with Nate and some other guys in the foyer, and Nate says, yeah, yeah, that's not ever going to happen to you. So then we started joking around a little bit. So, so then we started saying, what will people say to me, to Pastor Rep? They'll say things like, you know, you walk like my librarian in elementary school, right? What's the, what's the just the, the, the geekiest, right, things? And I'm, I'm going to stop there because then I don't want to offend anybody, right? Because I might name your job if it's a little bit <laughs> geeky and we don't want to hurt your feelings. And so th- those are the things that people are going to say to me. So then I got to thinking during the worship set, because I'm easily distracted, about this hilarious, which is a very inappropriate movie that you should never watch. And I watched it a long time ago, just for the record. But I think it's called Silver Streak with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Any other older people like myself in here that have seen that? There's a scene where Richard Pryor is trying to teach Gene Wilder how to walk like a brother, right? It is the one of the funniest scenes in film history that you will ever see. I, so you can just start calling me Gene because 
that's who I am. I'm never going to quite have that rhythm that I need. Swag, yes, thank you, honey. Are you saying I don't have any swag? She's saying no. I can take it. I can, I can take it. So, so why, why am I talking about all this? Because so this, is, this is what I want you to hear me say. Is that sometimes the way we walk, uh, on the inside, sometimes the way we walk, has a, has a lot more to do with where we've been than it, than it does of where we're going. Let me say that again. Sometimes the way we walk in life, on the inside, who we, who we are, the way we carry ourselves, the way we walk has, has too much to do with where we've been and not enough to do with where we're going. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke. Chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. This has nothing to do with the series, in case you're wondering. We're, 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 going, to, we're going to get there in a little while, I think. Beginning in verse 14, it says, that Jesus returned to Galilee. Now, this is some context is important for you. Jesus, people do not know who he is. This is the very beginning of his life and ministry. We read these stories, we know who he is, right? But, but in the moment, if you were to put yourself in the context of the story, people do not know who, this is the very beginning. He's, he's 30 years old, he's been baptized by John, he's just beginning to gather some people to himself, which was very common for rabbis to call people to be of their school of teaching, and he's just begun to, to call some people to himself. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days, he's had his encounter with the devil, so this is early on in the, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It says he returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. This was very common practice for rabbis. They would travel, they would teach, they would, they would try to rally people to their interpretation of Scripture. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read Scripture, and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. I like this. He did not pick this himself. This is a providential moment, the hand of God launching his ministry. God moved in somebody to decide what was going to be read that day. The Bible was, there was no New Testament. It was just the Old Testament, and it was not broken up into chapter and verse. They were like letters. So the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. And that time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. Now all eyes in the synagogue look at him intently. Why? Because Israel lived with an expectation that they would be the favored generation of God to see the Messiah when he would come. I love how he went back to his seat before he stood back up the top. And he said to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day day this very day people if you continue to read in the story some were offended some were excited some doubted they lived with the expectation that the messiah would come but lots of people had come in history and said i'm the messiah and they had always 
been disappointed. We live with a great hope and an expectation, right, that we're going to be a generation that sees the return of Christ. Can you imagine if somebody showed up and said, hey, I just want everybody to know that I'm Jesus and I have come back, right? Some of us would be excited. Some of us would be offended. Some of us would doubt, right? We would be searching scriptures. That, or did they come in the way that the Bible says, right? It, it would create controversy. That's exactly what it did in Jesus's day. They, they, they were not convinced that he was who he said he was. Now, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61, because this is where he was reading out of, and I want to read a, a bigger chunk. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? He has sent me to tell that those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. And to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing the cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks, they will plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast of their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Anybody want that promise for their life? It's powerful, isn't it? I'm going to invite Josh who's going to come up and play a little bit. For me, I'm not going to sing. Don't get nervous. Right? Like, whoo, that'll clear the house, right? So, so this is what I'm going to do for a few minutes before we get into the, into, into the sermon. So he's going to play a little bit. We're just going to pray a little bit and, and just invite some people into to, to a place to, to, to maybe find some freedom and liberty because those words that Jesus spoke, they're real words. That, that he comes to set people free. For, for people who the way that they walk in life has too much to do with where they've been and not enough to do with where they're going. You know, it's interesting, he talks about this idea of setting prisoners and captives free, and there's a couple of different words there. It's another sermon for another time, but there was lots of ways that people were held captive. There were some people that were prisoners because they committed a crime, maybe like somebody you know. If ever to go somebody on visitation day. Ever been there? It's a hard place to go and sit and visit with someone who's lost their freedom. It's sad. But more often than not, the people that are in there, they need to be there, right? Because there's consequences to bad decisions. But, but, but sometimes people in ancient Israel's day, they were held captive not because they committed a crime, but because they found themselves indebted. Oftentimes due to their own foolishness, oftentimes due to irresponsibility with stewardship, living beyond their means, taking financial risks that they should not take, and they find themselves in over their head. And Jewish law had a provision that you could get out of your debt if you did not have the money by becoming a slave or a servant to that household. But, but, but the law was very specific about how long you could hold somebody captive if they were an Israelite. So one of the reasons why God often brought judgment to Israel is that they broke that law and they kept people captive longer than they should. The reason I'm sharing that, because I think this is where some insight is for us tonight, is that 
that for some of you, you're walking the way that you're walking in life. Your, your sense of how you identify yourself, the, your, 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 your emotional well-being, your spiritual a lot of it has to do with where you've been and not enough to do with where you've been going. And it doesn't mean that, that your perception of yourself has been wrong for your yesterdays because, again, there's consequences to bad decisions. But there is a moment in time where the creator of the universe steps into our lives and he says, enough is enough. It's time to be free. He doesn't go back and erase the memories of our yesterdays. He doesn't go back and change them. He doesn't take us back in a time machine like we see in science fiction movies and we do it all right so we can get to a different place. No, he just steps in like this text talks about and he says, today I have come so that people who are held captives can be free. That the way that you walk, who you understand yourself to be, has too much to do with where you've been and not enough to do with where you're going. And Jesus says, if you'll let me, this is what he says to you, I can come in and just set your feet a-dancing in a new direction because you now are walking towards who you're called to be and walking away from who you used to be. So, so we're going to pray a little bit. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just to create some privacy for people. We're going to do a couple. We're going to do a couple. I, I love in that text, you can just keep your heads bowed, where, where Jesus steps up out of the crowd and he's there in the room. And you know what we believe at the City Life Church is that, come on, he's here tonight. And he's standing up now. And he's looking for some people. And the question is, will you be found by him? So, so the first one, I felt like God spoke to my heart during the worship set, is, is, is people who are here who, who you are gripped with fear about what other people think of you. You just you live in a place of just your, your, your thoughts are bombarded by pleasing others. You're, you're overwhelmed at the thought of what other people think of you. And it might be that no one knows that about you. But you struggle with it every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. It's the way you walk. Because of where you've been and not because of where you're going. But you don't have to walk like that anymore. Today is the day of the favor of God where he sets captives free. So I'm just going to invite you to quietly stand where you are. I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to move on to something else. I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. If people are just going to keep their heads bowed just to create a moment of privacy. I'm not going to ask you to do anything public. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than what we're asking you to do right now. Father, I just pray for every person that's standing tonight. Whether they're, whether they're suffering in a place of silence and no one knows about this or whether they've shared it with others and other people know this about, regardless of their journey, however they got here, that they're going to walk differently in just a few seconds. They're just going to walk differently. They're going to walk with a countenance that says I'm free. That they're going to walk with a countenance that says I'm judged by my God and my God alone. That they're going to walk with a sense of liberty and freedom as if they had been imprisoned and somebody's opened the door and they're just walking out in the sense 
of being free is just going to envelop them to the very depth of their soul. In Jesus' name, we just speak liberty over every person that's standing. In Jesus' name, we say they are free. In Jesus' name, that they are going to walk because of where they're going and not where they've been. And they're going to a place of destiny. They're going to a place of promise. They're going to a place of a newfound identity as a child of God, a child of promise walking into the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. Come on, you can be seated. All right, let's, let's do a couple more. You want to do a couple more? Jesus is here. Come on. Will you be found by him? Can you imagine traveling 2,000 years ago and being one of those synagogues where Jesus steps up and begins to teach? That can, be, that can be your every day. Having a sense of the of the presence of Christ in your life. I want to talk a little bit about fear. You know, there's, there's what we just talked about, which is pretty specific, but then sometimes people, they, they, they live with just a, a generalized sense of fear. They're just always afraid of what's going to come, what's going to happen. There, there, there's an expectation of bad. You with me? And, and it causes people to live in a place of fear. And, and again, the way we walk oftentimes has to do with where we've been and, and, and not because of where we're going. And so if you walk in a place of fear, you might have very real reasons for that. I'm not dismissing that. There might be traumatic things that have happened to you in your past. It could be because people that were influential, like your parents, said things to you that were, that were unhealthy and it's caused fear to, 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 to grip your heart. And, and, and it might be that you walk in fear out of innocence. It might be that you walk in fear because you've just chosen to stay there even you've been in moments like this before and you've had a chance to walk out of it and you've chosen to stay there because it's just what's familiar. It doesn't have to be that way. Come on. I know it's hard to believe that Jesus could change something in an instance, but that's what he is. That's what he does. He changes. He has power to change your heart in just a moment. So I'm going to ask people to bow their heads again, and I'm just, if you're here and you struggle with fear, you know who you are. You're just, you're just afraid all the time. Maybe people don't even know it. Maybe they don't even know it, but there's just fear that's deep in your heart. I'm just going to invite you to stand. Father, we know that your word says that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, we know that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we pray over every person that's standing tonight that a righteous, holy courage is going to well up in their heart. That you're going to chase fear out of their step. It's not going to be the way that they walk. That they're not going to be afraid. That they're going to live out their days with an amazing sense of confidence that the creator of the universe, he knows my name and he walks with me at my side all the days of my life. That Jesus, your promise that when you ascended into the heavens, you said that, Lord, I will be with you always. 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 You are always with us. Father, may it be that everybody that's standing tonight, that they're going to walk different in the next few moments. They're just, they're, they're, their physical gait, the way they carry themselves, it's going to be different. Because they no longer walk based on where they've been, but now where they're going. And where they're going is into a place of destiny. Where they're going is into a place of purpose. Where they're going is into a place of the 
goodness of God like Celeste talked about. People here tonight not even believing that God is good. That Come on, God, that you're, even now you're going to bring that revelation to people's heart that they just can't get away from. That Psalm 27, 13, that they would have lost heart if they had not believed in the goodness of God. That they would see the goodness of God. They would walk in the goodness of God. That they would have the goodness of God. That the goodness of God would be their inheritance and their treasure in this life in the land of the living. Change the way they walk because of what they see in their tomorrows and that their tomorrows are filled with promise in Jesus' name. Come on, you can be seated. I'll do a couple more. I just want to read it again. This is of Jesus, not of me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Come on, can you hear him saying it? This, Jesus saying, these are his words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So I want to do this one. If, if, you're, if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and there's just physically, there's just something that you've been talking to God about. Just with your, with your physical body. Come on, we believe that God's a healing God. Just anything with your physical body, no matter how small or how big. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's a diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe it's just something nagging that has to do with your, your physical well-being. But Jesus, he just, he touches people and he changes people. You with me? I love Joy because she stands up even before we ask people to close their eyes. Come on. Come on. Stand up if you got something. I know this is random and out of the blue, but this, I, somebody with their left foot, I'm just throwing that out there. Just being obedient to the Lord. That your left foot. Whatever it is you're standing for tonight, Jesus, we believe that you are a healer. We believe that you touch our, our bodies in ways that are unexplainable. Father, we believe that, that, that you have... That, that you walk in our midst and there's times where you just reach out to us and you touch us in ways that, that, that no one could ever understand that you made these bodies. You created them. You are the great physician. You are the doctor that heals all. You are the doctor that makes well. You are the doctor that has the power to do things that confounds the wisdom of men. Father, we thank you for the faith that's birthed in everybody's heart that's standing tonight and we pray that that faith would just be a magnet for your healing power come on that you're just writing story after story after story after story tonight come on that story after story after story is going to flow in of how you've touched how you did what seemed to be the impossible God we believe that you are an impossible doing God that for people that they, they've been walking with an expectation of always being with the diagnosis and the problem that they have because it's what they've always known that's the way they walk with an expectation, God, that you're going to change that tonight, that they're going to walk in their tomorrows with an expectation of wholeness, that they're going to walk in their tomorrows with an expectation of physical well-being, that, Father, for those that are standing for infertility, God, that they're going to walk into their tomorrows into parenthood. For people that are, that, are, that are standing tonight because of a, a diagnosis that might be life-threatening, God, we say let it be that they're going to walk in their tomorrows with an expectation of many more years to come. Jesus, we believe that you are here and that you touch and that you change and that you heal. And that the way that we walk, 
is never supposed to be born out of where we've been, but always born out of where we see ourselves going in Jesus' name. Now let's do one more. And we'll do the first half of the series and then we'll kick the second half to next weekend. So, so this one's about identity. We, we come in, in, into our, our, our identity, our, our sense of who we are through lots of different ways, lots of different ways. The environment that we grow up in, again, people that, that are influencers in our lives when we're, when we're, we're impressionable in our, in our youth, that identity is given to us. Sometimes we might find ourselves when we're in a place of confusion, for lots of different ways, lots of different confusion that, that can come to us. Because, because people that were confused themselves, you with me? who we looked as someone as being a person of authority, and then that confusion passes on to us. It can be a parent. It can be, it can be a stranger. And there's only one place that we're supposed to get our identity, and it's between the pages of this book, right here. It's one of the most sacred parts of, of, of parenting, is to make sure that our children's identity comes from the pages of this book. Not that everybody's supposed to be the same, personalities are going to be different life experiences are going to be different ethnicities bring great diversity so we know there's a lot if we're talking about character trying to identity as a child of god these things that we should all share should be the same and a lot of times the world comes in and gives us sometimes a sense of permission that we shouldn't have we're just saying that, that tonight if, if if you're here and you're saying, I think it could be that part of my identity that I've embraced about myself, it didn't come from God. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to walk out of here tonight knowing exactly what your identity is supposed to be. I'm just saying that you can walk out of here tonight saying, I know that I want to get it from my Father in heaven. So, so this one is just about you entering into a conversation with God. I want my identity to come from you, God. I want my identity to come from you. you. You might not even know why you're standing, but you you feel it right now in your heart, right? You're, you're feeling it, that I think I'm supposed to stand for this. It might be the people that you're with, your husband or your, your wife or your parents, or they, 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 you, you don't get caught up in that, right? If you feel that God's stirring in your heart, you just need to stand. You just need to be obedient to what the Lord is speaking to you. Father, we pray for every person that's standing here tonight, that, 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 that they're... They have an appetite to hear your voice. They have an appetite to, to be led by your hand. That, that they have a desire to, to go on a journey with you where, where you begin to teach them who they are, where you begin to give them their identity, where you begin to speak over them who they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to understand themselves. Jesus, we lift up every person that's standing tonight and everything about them that's not of you, just let it begin to fall away. Everything that's in them that's not from you, let it be left behind tonight here in this building. That everything that's, that's, that, that's in them by part of patterns of behavior that, that's, that's not part of your will for their life, that you're going to break those things in Jesus' name. That everything in them, every desire, every hope, every dream, that didn't come from your hand, that we stand tonight and we open up our lives and we say, God, reach down into me even to the point that it hurts and is uncomfortable and just take all that stuff out. Just take it out. That we want to walk, God, like those who are free, 
because that's what we are in you. We do not want our gate, the step of our life, to be based on where we've been. We only and always want it to be where we're going. And may it be that where we're going would always be, would always be, would always be a passion-filled, moment-by-moment governing, life-defining relationship with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, let's just do one more. It's like the buffet, right? There's always one more trip back. It's just going to be good. So let's do this one. So let's invite you to bow your heads again. Let's do that. So maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, Fred, you're, you're talking a lot about this idea of being a follower of Christ. I'm not sure that I am. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, I, when I look into the story of my life, I cannot find a moment in time where I made a vow of devotion to Christ. We like to call it that because it sounds a lot like marriage, and that's exactly what it is. We understand socially what marriage is like. We go to an altar. We make a vow. There's a moment in time where we give our lives to someone. So I'm just, we're just going to pause here in this moment of service. In the moment of, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else except talk to me at the end of the service. We just want to protect this moment of privacy. I'm just going to ask you, if you're, if you're here tonight, and, and, and when you look into the story of your life, you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand. Not, well, no, not even going to ask you to stand up. We're just making it easy for you if you're here tonight. I'm just going to pause in this moment. Just slip it up so I can see it. You look into your story. If you can't find that moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together with you tonight. We thank you that you, you care about the way we walk and why we walk the way we walk. You care about our steps. We thank you, God, where your word says that the, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And we know, God, after tonight that, yeah, that has a lot to do with direction, but it's a lot deeper than that. That the steps of the righteous are ordered by you in the sense of just the way we walk our countenance, the way we step. And I pray, Father, that for everyone that's here tonight, that however we need to walk differently, that we're going to walk differently in our tomorrows, that never again are we going to choose to be in a place of being captive, whatever that means for each of us. Even if we deserved it yesterday, tomorrow is a new day. Even if we deserved it yesterday because of our own foolishness, because of our own sin, because of our own mistakes, that your word says that your mercies are new every morning. And that tomorrow is a day of freedom. It's a day of liberty. It is the beginning of your favor on our lives. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody sit together. Amen. Hey, can you say thank you to Josh for just jumping in spontaneously and helping out? Wow, it's only about five after. I think God was slowing down time for us, huh? Sweet. All right, so we've got to talk about dumb ways to die a little bit, right? So if, 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 if you don't know what that is, then you can pick that up on the podcast, but 
we've issued a challenge to the, to the church, part of this series, Mayhem, and, and, and this idea that how we, how we add to our own troubles, we add to our own problems, and this idea that, that uh, Allstate, you know, they don't talk about if, if, uh, if, you, if you don't have the right kind of insurance when mayhem comes, it will cost you more than it should. It doesn't eliminate problems from your life. It just says that, that it's going to cost you more than it, than it has to. And so we've been talking as a church about how we add mayhem to our lives. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap in just a minute, but, but this, this uh, uh, Dumb Ways to Die, we've, we've, we've said, you know, is a, a game for the, for the iPhone that the highest score that we're going to do a giveaway each week because we have a lot of dumb ways that we die spiritually that are self-inflicted. And so the highest score is going to get this beautiful bag. It's got speakers, and we're going to put a six-pack of, of, of bottled Coke, which is my favorite drink in there. And we've got the, uh, the uh, bottle opener that's already attached. So, But that's just for the for grand, grand, grand prize winner. So I've got a nice all-state hat that we're going to give away tonight. So not, if you've won something already, you're not eligible. But just quickly, the highest score going to give this to the highest score. Anybody want to throw out their score for Dumb Ways to Die? I know it's going to be a lot from this section over here, but anybody got a high score they want to throw out? 5168. Anybody beat 5168? Anybody beat 5168? Going once, going twice. Nice. 5168. <laughs> Because we're getting into the home stretch where this goes away, people have begun to not share their high score. Serious business at the City Life Church. Someone whispered a score to me the other day that, that they have, and I don't know if they're lying, right? Just because there could be some subterfuge happening, right? They're trying to trick some people to get them to stop playing. That They think that, oh yeah, because at the City Life Church, there are winners and losers, and we keep score here. So, so somebody is, I'm, I can, I'm not even going to say the score that they've got, but if it's, if it's true, they, they are going to be embarrassed when they share it publicly, because clearly they've not been doing anything else with their life except play, play this game. So, so we will find out. So, so we're, we're going to do this, we'll go to the highest score between between both campuses, and we'll give that away the, 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 uh, the first weekend in September, so, or the last weekend in August. We'll see how that, how that plays out. So, so I've been challenging the, the, the church to memorize uh, Isaiah 26.3 with me, that you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It's a great, if you've never memorized a verse before, it's going to be a great verse for you to try because it's got some cadence to it. It, it, it. It's well alliterated. It's easy to remember. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so at the beginning of this series, we connected those words to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it talks about faith and hope and love. And again, you can hear that online. And then we talked about this second verse, that trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. And we connected that to 1 Samuel 7, 12, talking about our Ebenezer. He's the stone of our help, our reliance. And then this idea of John 16, 33, Allstate didn't come up with this idea that, hey, that, that mayhem doesn't have to cost you more than it should. Jesus was the first one to say that. And we find it in this conversation that he had with his disciples saying, hey, trouble's going to come to you, but it doesn't have to cost you more than it should. And in this series, we've been saying one thing, it should never cost you is your sense of inner peace. Your, your sense on the inside, you will keep in perfect peace. Even if you're surrounded by mayhem, even if you're in the midst of the storm of your life, there should be something inside of you that is immovable. It's your sense of peace that God is in control. You walk differently when you live with that revelation. 
You walk differently when you live. That's why we talked last week about hearing God's voice, because hearing God's voice and a confidence about hearing God's voice helps to maintain your sense of inner peace. And so we did the Dumb Ways to Die video. So, so where we've been talking in the series also is about this idea, idea of adding to our own problems. And I shared it a couple of weeks ago that I felt like God said, hey, I want you to share your top five. In, in pastoral ministry, in all the years that, that you've been counseling with people and talking with people, the calls that you get, that the top five reasons that people have added trouble to their lives. And so the first two came right away. The first two were isolation and deference. Isolation, when, when you begin to withdraw from relationships, that you add to your problems, you add to the mayhem of your life. Increasing deference, this idea of permission-giving relationships, that you should have people in your life that love you enough to say the hard things. Right? So I got a, uh, a uh, email from, uh, from Kevin Garcia, who you know is a beloved member of this church. He's out on the world race in 11 countries in 11 months, and, and he, we were just catching up a little bit. And at the, at the end of his email, he said, that uh, he said, tell Nate Nowotny, because he didn't know that he had already shaved his handlebar mustache. He said, tell Nate, because I love him enough to say the hard things to him, <laughs> that he needs to shave that mustache. And so he was, he was, he was happy to hear that, that, that the mustache is gone, as well as Laura is very happy. And so, right? And so, so whether it's a handlebar mustache or whatever it is for you that makes you weird, right? That, uh, that, that, that you need people in your life who are willing to pull you aside, and love on you a little bit. And, and when you begin to pull back from those relationships, when you begin to pull back from the people that are, that are, that are saying the things that you don't want to hear, when people are saying things to you that you don't want to hear that you know that love you. Now, you got to know that they love you because if they don't love you, then you should be pulling back from those relationships. But people that you know that love you, that are saying things that you don't want to hear, you should be stepping deeper into those relationships in those times, not pulling away. If you do those things, you're going to increase mayhem in your life. We talked about compromise, the whisper and the prompting of the Holy Spirit throughout your day and learning how to follow his leading and then the idea of selfishness and then we put that in the context of parenting as, as not being self-absorbed. So I've been saying, hey, I've got my top five and we've been waiting for some time now for the, for the fifth one. So I want to share with you what the fifth one is and this is the fifth one here. I call it divine disobedience. It's just saying no to God. It's just in moments in your life where you know God is telling you to do something and you go, no, I'm not doing that, right? Or it's moments in your life where God's telling you to stop doing something and you go, nope, not doing that, right? I remember years ago, Soon after I had made a vow of devotion to Christ, I was 23, and I got involved in this men's group, and we met uh, every week for prayer, and we kept a prayer journal and prayed. It was a really neat, if you've never been a part of a group like that, or life groups do it here at our church sometimes, you can keep track of your, of your prayers, and over time, you can go back and see all the ways that God, God moves. And so uh, we were praying, and, and he had young children, and, and one of his children, he was about four years old, Caleb, and it was Christmas time, and Caleb comes in, and he's just working, so this is the Christmas tree, and he's just standing here like this. But you, we all know what he's doing, right? He's just, he's edging his way closer to the Christmas tree, right? He's just edging his way. But finally he gets close enough, right? And his, his father, Chris, says, Caleb, do not touch that tree. And we know what's getting ready to go down, right? 
It is getting ready to go down. That, that he is, if you're, if you're a parent, you've been here before. You know, that they're, they're, they're trying to, this, this is part of how they learn. It's just not be, just because of, they're trying to learn about authority. They're trying to learn who's in control. Sometimes they're trying to teach you who they think should be in control, right? And so he's looking at the tree. He's looking at his dad. He's looking at the tree. He's looking at his dad. And, and we're rooting for him, right, on the inside. We're not saying anything, right? Because when you're in situations like that, you should not get involved, right? You should step back. Right? And, and so we're, but on the inside, we're saying, bro, don't touch that tree. This is not going to be good for you. Right? And he does this. You've heard me tell this story before. Bing. Making eye contact with his father the whole time. He didn't even miss the ball. It was one of the, the ball, right? He just, he's like a ninja. But dink, right? And just touching it and holding his finger on the ball, looking at his father. Well, things didn't turn out so good for that little fellow that night. I think it was hard for him to sit down the next day, but he learned something about authority. God, he's a loving God, but he's a God of authority. He's supposed to be my boss. He's supposed to be your boss. He's not going to make you do what you're supposed to do, but he's going to tell you about some do's and don'ts in life, and there's got to be something inside of us that says yes, sir, to him, not no. No should never be our answer to God. No, no should never be our answer to him. It should always be yes, God. And the moments in our life where we're doing this, mayhem is sure to follow, not because he gets angry with us and withdraws, but because he loves us enough to take us wherever we need to go to learn the lessons in life that we need to learn. He loves us enough, just like his father loved his son that night with a Christmas tree at a small group. He didn't do those things because he was angry, because he wanted his son to learn that if things were going to go well for him, he had to submit to the authority of his father. And it's the same with our God. Isaiah 59, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Isaiah 59. Listen. Isaiah the prophet starts. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Now, now, you might not find this list is your list, but you have a list. You tracking with me? When you get to play, I call these fill-in-the-blank portions in Scripture. If you read through this and say, oh, I'm good because these things don't pretend. No, this was their list. We all have our lists. So this is their list, and you could make your own list. It says, your hands are the hands of murderers, and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds, and they give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spiders' webs, and whoever falls into their webs will die. And there's danger even in getting just near them. Their webs can't be made into clothing, and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin, and violence is their trademark. I'm going to go down to verse 8. Their feet run to do evil. They rush to commit murder. They think only about sinning, misery, and destruction. And you could slide in there, mayhem always will follow them. They don't know where to find, here it comes, peace or what it means to just be good. They have mapped out crooked roads, come on, the way they walk, and no one who follows them knows a moment of peace. Because when you live a life of mayhem that's self-inflicted, you will never have the kind of perfect peace that Isaiah, the writer of this, 
also wrote in 26. All right, turn over to Jonah. Right, you know we had to go there, right? I was reading this, this this week, and I was thinking about Shark Week. Anybody else was a Shark Week fan, right? Anybody else get sucked into the hilariously disappointing, uh, was it a two-hour show on Megalodon? Did it, is, am I saying that right? I was so angry at the end of that, I almost threw the remote control right through the television. I should have seen it coming, right? I was so disappointed, right? But I think Megalodon could have been who swallowed Jonah. I'm just saying, just saying. So the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of, of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now before we get too far into this, I'm just going to read this and then we're going to have the band come up in just a few minutes. Not yet though, but just in a few minutes. The, 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 we read this, right, and we go, I, if God were to speak to me like that, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't do what Jonah did. But let's, let's just put some context here, okay? So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Syria was, at, at the time, Israel's greatest enemy. I mean, they were huge enemies against each other. So, so let me give it some context. So, so tonight, after, after, after church, and you're out hanging out with some people from the City Life Church, hashtag clad, and, uh, and, and, and God speaks to you and says, I want you to... to to do whatever you have to do to buy a plane ticket. I want you to go to Afghanistan. And I want you to go to the border of Pakistan. And I want you to go from village to village and prophesy Jesus amongst all the villages amongst the Taliban. Right? How many people are willing to do that tomorrow? You with me? You need to understand what God was asking Jonah to do. It was serious business. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he, say that three times really fast, right? Don't do that. You might get into trouble. He, he bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape the Lord from sailing there. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Running from God will wear you out. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew began to cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. Come on, even God can work through superstitions. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What's your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? They're trying to get it. Why? why? What have you done? Because we're all going to die. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea. Jonah said, I don't think Jonah is doing that because, I'm just reading the story here, because he cares about them. He's just saying, I would rather die then do what God asks of me. You with me? He said, I would just rather perish 
then go do the very thing that God's calling me to do. Now, what's going to happen now, too, is that we realize this is one of the minor prophets. There's, there's four major prophets and then 12 minor prophets. Jonah's, one of his books is one of the, the minor prophets. And this is a, every one of the prophets has a prophetic thread through it, speaking of the coming of Christ. And so the story of Jonah gives us lots of lessons, but one, it's this idea, come on, the cast of, of the lots have been cast for humanity and we're all guilty. You're with me? And the judgment of God has to be satisfied. And Jonah is a representation of Christ who's cast into the sea which is the cross, and he's there in the belly of the whale for how many days? Three days, which was the number of days that Jesus was in the tomb. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will come calm again. I know that this is a terrible storm, and it's all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins and don't hold us responsible for his death oh lord you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons then the sailors picked jonah up and they threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once it is a powerful story is it not the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Even in our disobedience, God can bring others to himself. All things work to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Verse 17, now the Lord had arranged for Megalodon to swallow Jonah. No, it doesn't say that. It just says a great fish. It says a great fish. Somebody was like, oh, that's awesome. I know they had Shark Week back then. And Jonah was inside the fish for how many days? Three days and three, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Three days and three nights. It's, it's important when we read stories like this that we're honest with ourselves. It's important when we read stories like this that we ask ourselves the question, God, how, how is this me, right? It might be that God's never come to you and asked you to go to a foreign land, that, to be a, a missionary where, where your life is gonna going to be at risk. It, it might be that God's not ever asked you something huge like that. I, I like the fact that, that God gives this story in this particular text where he asks something so big. He asks something so big. Because I think what part of what God's trying to say is whether it's something that's really big or whether it's something that's really small, obedience really is all that really matters. Whether you're looking at God and you're thinking, God, you have got to be crazy to ask this of me, or whether it's something that seems so small that it seems insignificant and you don't really even understand why he's asking of it you, but you just know it would be easy to do, but even maybe in those moments you still just say no because there's a little bit of a Caleb like that little boy in your heart that you just, every now and then you're just testing the boundaries with the Father. From Genesis to Revelation, people that walk in a place of divine disobedience, mayhem always follows. And it won't just touch you, it'll touch the people around you. Husbands, fathers, I'm just telling you, if, if, if you're not right with God, then you put your wife at risk, you put your children at risk, it's serious business. Kids, if you're not right with God, you put your families at risk. This idea of divine disobedience, it's serious stuff. It, it's, you, you cannot read scripture. God is a God of grace, but he is also a God of authority. And he's also a God of love, which means he loves you enough to do what he needs to do when you're not respecting his authority so that one day you can be a recipient of his grace. 
So if you're here tonight and there's something that you know, that you know, just from hearing me talking, you already know. You know what? I'm walking in disobedience. I, I've, I've said no to God. Don't wait for the fish to come. Are you with me? Let's get it right with him before that day. Let's get it right with him before we've got to experience that part of his love. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We've got a couple of minutes here. We're not going to keep you, we're not going to keep you long. We're just going to go through this song together tonight. We're just going to go through this song together tonight. And if you're, if you're here, if you're here and you're bold enough, if you're willing enough to say, you know what? This idea of divine disobedience, I, I know what you're saying because I've, I'm saying no to God to something about something. And, and I, know I'm not, I know I need to say yes to him. I'm just going to, just as we sing this song, I'm just going to invite you to come find a place here at the altar. You're just going to come find a place here at the front of the church. It's just your way of saying, God, I'm going to go towards you and I'm going to stop going away from me. You with me? There's something about posturing ourselves physically to represent what's going on on the inside. So just as we sing the song, I'm not going to come back up, invite you to come just on your own. You come, you find your place here. It's just your way of saying, God, yes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone.
just sing that one more time. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He 